This is Van Color. Welcome back to This is Van Color. My name is Mo Amir, and our featured guest is an award-winning and influential investigative journalist for Global News. His book, Willful Blindness, How a Network of Narcos, Tycoons, and CCP Agents Infiltrated the West, was released last year to critical acclaim, and it is an absolute jaw-dropper that will infuriate you. He's been following British Columbia's public inquiry into money laundering, the Cullen Commission, a commission that exists in large part due to his hard work. He is Sam Cooper. Sam, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Mo. Sam, we know that money laundering is a big problem in British Columbia with far-reaching consequences surrounding crime, the drug trade, the real estate industry, foreign interference. But when it comes to the Cullen Commission, what were the big revelations? What did we learn? For me, the big revelations were uh, we knew there were big problems here. We didn't know the exact scale and we didn't know uh, really how high the warnings about this activity went. And we learned that in detail in the inquiry. We heard about meetings between casino floor investigators and their bosses in which the, the investigators had tried to intervene in these uh, transactions of hockey bags of cash. And they were told by their bosses not to because their bosses were getting pressure from the casino owners who said <laughs> they didn't want the revenue that was being uh, delivered through these high stakes, high stakes gamblers to be, uh, uh, you know, disrupted. We heard about warnings that went all the way up to the minister's office, the gaming minister's office, that this suspected drug money laundering was growing exponentially. Uh, it was estimated by 2014 to reach 200 million in suspected drug cash transactions per year, and uh, the government didn't do anything. Uh, we learned more about exactly who these VIP gamblers were that are acting in what we now know as the Vancouver model. Mo, as you know, that's uh, ultra-wealthy people from China flying into Vancouver. They are met uh, outside a casino with a, a gangster loan shark who gives them a bag of cash. The casinos did not stop this activity. In fact, we learned that investigators warned their bosses, these gamblers, the high stakes, high rollers, were suspected international drug traffickers. I, my mind was blown by uh, evidence about the highest roller in 2015, a man that gambled $6 million in six months, the documents with the BC Lottery Corporation say it was known that CBSA suspected he was a fentanyl precursor importer and loan shark, and yet this is your biggest customer. Uh, the bosses in government and the Lottery Corporation are being warned, and nothing is stopped. So if we're talking about uh, inaction or corruption, uh, I believe we've learned that the evidence shows it happened, and we also heard the motive was revenue. The government and the casinos didn't want that flow of cash that was pouring hundreds of millions per year into the government coffers to stop. So if we know that crimes were committed and potentially there was dereliction of duty, negligence, maybe even complicity from officials in the BC government, how come we haven't seen any arrests or major political fallout as a result of the commission then? 
Well, the terms of the commission and its mandate are it's mandated to find. Was there inaction or corruption that allowed uh, this uh, egregious, very clear money laundering activity to occur in casinos? Uh, uh, the, the terms specifically say that it should not directly lead to uh, criminal investigations. I believe the reason is that uh, they want uh, witnesses to, to be fulsome in their evidence. But look, Mo, what your question is, uh, why is anyone not in jail? Another thing that I learned that had never come out, there were police investigations that directly targeted the casinos themselves. We've never heard that. Uh, I found documents that said uh, Richmond's River Rock Casino had specifically built its high roller salons to invite gamblers from China in who were used by the casinos as willing pawns in wow. very significant money laundering activity. Uh, Mo, just think back to we had an independent review into money laundering before the Cullen Commission, which found casinos were unwitting victims. However, the commission through documents revealed the opposite. The RCMP believed the casinos were wittingly involved in this money laundering. So you ask, should there be arrests? Uh, that maybe that's for Commissioner Cullen to say, but I see the evidence of very serious allegations that would suggest serious crimes. Now, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong. The Cullen Commission is called the Inquiry into Money Laundering in British Columbia, but the scope seemed limited to BC casinos. Why was real estate excluded from the inquiry when we know that this asset class in particular was utilized to launder money in Metro Vancouver to what I and probably many others believe to be a detrimental effect? I think you're exactly right. Uh, you know, I give credit to the Cullen Commission for thoroughly examining was there inaction in terms of this, these warnings about suspected drug money laundering that government officials completely ignored. Uh, and yet we know that uh, casinos are the tip of the iceberg of real estate activity. And furthermore, we know that many of these VIP gamblers, suspected international drug traffickers, were also big time real estate developers in the province. And you're right. Uh, I know that because I can dig into the records, but it never came out in testimony in the commission. Furthermore, look, we condo developers in Vancouver are on, you know, lists of power players. And yet we also know that uh, a lot of their clients uh, were involved in activity of sending money in from Hong Kong and China. And again, this didn't really come out in the in the inquiry, but there were case studies sort of buried in the documents that said their uh, financial entities in Hong Kong were sending tens of millions of dollars into BC bank accounts and through corruption suspects from foreign countries, this made it into Vancouver mansions. And, uh, you know, uh, you're right, that didn't come out in the inquiry. I think uh, it, the inquiry leaves itself open to accusations that that's a gap that they didn't examine. Hmm. I'll add one more thing, you know, sure. Mo, in my book, I write about how Hong Kong tycoons that are deeply, you know, they run the Macau casinos, which are at the root of this Vancouver model of transaction. They were huge buyers of land in Vancouver in the 1990s, big time developers, their, their projects still continue to roll uh, uh, in, in Vancouver today and send money around the world. We never really heard about the names of these people who my book, uh, I report, I have the documents that show some of these tycoons are organized crime suspects. Sure. Now, in so much reporting about what was happening in BC casinos, 
The name Rich Coleman, BC's former deputy premier, keeps coming up. He testified and then he was recalled to testify due to the media picking up on inconsistencies in his original testimony. Is there evidence to suggest that Mr. Coleman was willfully blind to money laundering activities in BC casinos? In my view, uh, I, I think there is. Uh, we can just lay it out like this. I spoke of a face-to-face -face meeting in 2010 between a, a gaming regulator boss and Mr. Coleman in which Mr. Coleman was warned. This is suspected drug money laundering of warehouses of cash in Vancouver, and uh, the government needs to crack down on this flow of $20 bills coming in. Uh, the evidence is that Mr. Coleman uh, remembered that meeting, but he didn't do anything. And furthermore, you know, in, in his evidence, he, he said we didn't have real proof that this was money laundering. We can jump to another uh, uh, a meeting or emails that, that were uh, testified about Mr. Coleman and his colleagues in the government received from uh, casino whistleblowers, that is people inside a casino that said loan sharking is allowed by managers, uh, crime is infiltrating casinos. And again, we heard that uh, Mr. Coleman and his colleagues didn't respond to these warnings with significant investigations. And on top of that, Mo, you, you spoke about Mr. Coleman being recalled about his testimony. He was asked, when an RCMP officer came out in 2011 and said, this is stinky, this is mystery money, this is suspected money laundering, we know that Mr. Coleman came out on CBC and said, uh, actually, his bosses disagree with him. And uh, they don't agree that this is not money laundering. So Mr. Coleman crack, cracked down on uh, the RCMP officer that was involved in this investigation I spoke earlier in which wow. River Rock Casino was targeted. Why would Mr. Coleman come out and, uh, and, and try to silence, as the evidence was, this RCMP officer? And uh, why in his testimony would he say, actually, I didn't comment anything and have to be recalled and say, um, <laughs> I, yes, I did say something, but uh, there was no, you know, no real nefarious intent, I, I believe, was his testimony. I, I mean, I could take a guess at answering that question, but I'd probably get in trouble. So I'll, I'll pass on that. Sam, is there any evidence to show that money is still being laundered in large sums through BC casinos at present? In the hearings, we heard there, there are still suspicious transactions of you know, 10,000. Uh, I've heard from sources 20,000, perhaps even up to 30,000. Money laundering is still occurring. Don't, don't get it wrong. But what is not occurring is these bags with $200,000 in 20s, hmm. $500,000, up to a million coming from known high-level organized crime suspects with connections to Hong Kong, China, and Macau. Look, uh, this evidence is on videotape that the casinos, the BC's government, the RCMP, the regulator all knew the people involved, that is people delivering the cash and the high stakes gamblers were connected to drug trafficking investigations. That activity is not as brazen anymore, Mo, but the drug dealing behind it and uh, illegal casino activity, other forms of crime are rampant in British Columbia. Uh, organized crime is very fluid, very adaptable. And so, yes, they're not delivering uh, bales of cash anymore, but they're going to other means. We are now in the podcast exclusive part of my chat with Sam Cooper. Sam, thanks for sticking around, bud. 
Thanks for having me, as always. Anytime, anytime. I'm serious. You can come on every week if if uh, if you're allowed to, <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's funny. I listened back to our chat in June 2021. I mean, a monster episode for the scope that we covered, without ruining the the revelations in your book. And you brought up this idea of us doing a part two, and this honestly feels like a part 1.5 because we are just limiting the conversation to the Cullen Commission. And I think that, you know, that was six or seven months ago since we last chatted. And I'm not sure if we're like ready for a full-fledged uh, part two just yet. But I have to be honest, Sam, and I know I kind of expressed this in the podcast last time, and I probably expressed this on television just now. Uh, I look at this commission and I'm just disappointed. Like, it just seems like there could have been so much more. And I think you're right. Like, the revelations on the casino end are great, but like it's just the tip of the iceberg. You said it yourself, and and I think people were expecting something a lot larger. In the you know you look at the Carbono uh, the Charbonneau Commission, four years. People were expecting that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Mo, I've got a lot of insight into the people that testified, the people that maybe in the background talked to commission lawyers and thought they would be called to testify and were ready to testify, but didn't. And so I can get into that. And uh, I mean, the way I'd put it is this, that I, I do think that it was extremely important money spent to lay out this evidence. We, we've talked about how uh, meetings right to the top of BC's government uh, where people are warned that this is egregious money laundering, you have to do something and uh, nothing happens. And what do you know, people are fired after making those warnings, whether that was the reason or not. Uh, I talked about, uh, I'm, this is not even ton in cheek. Look, uh, uh, an RCMP officer who was involved in an investigation no one was informed of, let me enlarge upon that a bit, Barry Baxter, we now know from 2010 to 2012, River Rock Casino was targeted. New Wester, New Westminster Starlight Casino was targeted. They're a police target. VIP gamblers flying in from China are followed undercover. Loan sharks are followed. Uh, the, uh, the RCMP is you know, kicking the tires on a major drug traffic investigation. A Burnaby city councillor is targeted. He has connections to loan sharks. He has connections to VIP gamblers in China. He's tightly connected to River Rock Casino Management. This is in an RCMP document of the investigation that wasn't, never came out in, you know, open testimony, but it's a record that right. Commissioner Cullen has in front of him. And look, this, is, this phrase is burned in my mind. There's a quote that basically says, these casinos are using these gamblers from China who have little or no connection to Canada as willing pawns in significant money laundering activity. That's the exact opposite of what we heard from Dr. Peter German saying casinos are unwitting victims of money laundering. So let's follow this with our investigative mind a little further. Yeah. Um, so Barry Baxter comes out. He's not saying I was involved in this investigation that targeted River Rock Casino and this what's known, uh, you know, activity suspected drug money laundering. He's saying we are very, you know, worried that, you know, sophisticated organized crime could be using casinos. What happens? The, uh, the minister in charge of gaming comes out and slams him and says, your bosses don't agree with you. And uh, We're talking about Rich never... Coleman here, just to be clear, right? 
Minister Rich Coleman at the time comes out and tells CBC, Barry Baxter, your bosses disagree with you. Uh, You know, basically nothing to see here. So what could be the reasons, right? What could be the reasons? And we now can put a few more dots together. People knew the Barry Baxter story before. They didn't know. He was involved in this incredible investigation that just stops in 2011, never to be, and yet uh, is renewed in 2015 in the investigation we now know is e-pirate into the very same high-level elite transnational organized crime with uh, connections, uh, as I reported, to the Chinese Communist Party involved at the high end in fentanyl precursor importation. These are the bosses of uh, the scourge that's killing thousands in Vancouver and across Canada. And, uh, you know, what I want to say here is you're saying where, where, where could the commission go that it, that it didn't go? I'm saying just on that point, it didn't go the distance. Uh, there was an allegation that a high-level, uh, organi- well, an organized crime, let's just say associate, uh, was able to buy into a BC casino and uh, someone working in the government allowed that to happen and then took a job in the industry. Uh, the commission didn't test that at all. I could go on and on, Mo. I've talked about the tycoons that bought up a large portion of Vancouver and never came up in this hearing. Real estate development Developers that were uh, casino patrons that were kicked, you know, they, they due to suspected money laundering activity involving casino manager in one case were kicked out as patrons. This is one of the big, I'm not, and this was not name. in the commit. This was not in the commission at all. The real estate developers the, you, this, going I, to the casinos. I, well, yeah, I'm, I'm jumping on a case study in my mind of one of the biggest developers in Vancouver right now. He is no longer a patron because he was involved in this suspected money laundering transaction. Are you allowed to say who? um, I'm just going to not say him for this episode (laughs) (laughs) due to some, you know, uh, some reasons. But let me just put it this way. He's not alone. All these gamblers at the high end, some of them suspected international drug traffickers, some of them connected the Chinese Communist Party, all of them connected to these loan sharks delivering them cash are wow. big real estate developers. And we that wow. never really got tested in the inquiry, right? Why not? So, so you're you're validating my point. Like I th- like that's why I'm I'm kind of disappointed because again we see your reporting and reporting of others and 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 then we see what the commission has covered and and it is disappointing. And and you prefaced that answer by saying uh, you know, you there were some people who thought they were going to be witnesses and they weren't called and they kind of came to some conclusions. What were those conclusions? What did they realize in, in terms of why they weren't being called to to testify at the commission? Well, there there's a few that that did testify, but weren't asked the questions that they were prepared to answer. There's a few that say, look, uh, I talked about a case study into uh, banks in BC, major Canadian banks receiving tens of millions from uh, currency exchanges in Hong Kong, connected uh, by commission lawyers in a great case study to uh, these transnational organized crime groups with connections to the Chinese Communist Party. But why were the banks not openly questioned about that. Why were the lawyers involved uh, in these, um, 
you know, these loans from casino loan sharks that use, you know, BC courts in frauds to enforce real estate debts, uh, by the way, you know, with indications of very serious death threats involved, you know, sometimes being made potentially in law offices. Why were lawyers not openly questioned? So so what, what are the answers that, to those questions then? <laughs> again, you're on, I say you're on the right track where, look, the Charbonneau Commission, a, a selling point for people that wanted a BC commission was the Charbonneau people said, we found things that we never even expected. And, right. you know, they had four years to find it or did they have, you know, more latitude and, and courage? Uh, you know, uh, maybe we'll find out the answer later but you're you're to me what i want to say is you're going along the right lines when you say that why weren't some things questioned and i'm telling you that there are people that testified say that they didn't go in some areas because they're protecting you know a very powerful interest whether it be lawyers or banks and there's who's, other who's protecting that, them there are people that believe you know the commission uh, is following a a good road uh, they they've churned up some good evidence, but there were areas with regards to uh, very high level corruption allegations uh, or very powerful interest groups, be it bankers or lawyers, where those people weren't openly questioned. And the other side of that is there are people that were very ready to talk about these mm. Chinese state-sponsored crime connections or these uh, uh, tycoons from, from Hong Kong that have were involved in, you know, allegations of corrupting uh, Canada's uh, uh, high commission in Hong Kong with immigration scams in the 90s, allegations of tycoons involved in getting into infrastructure plays or, F, you know, attempts to infiltrate Canadian society well beyond casinos. There were people that I talked to in my book that were ready to, to, ready to testify about that kind of activity, which goes well beyond the box of casinos, which is just as you and I, Mo, as you and I know, Mo, is the most <laughs> clearly egregious money laundering, right? You can't, yeah. a hockey bag of cash on videotape, how could the government get away from that? They have to examine it. It's yeah. much more difficult to see, did someone try to buy a port does someone control a port right. someone that built that 50-story tower uh are they laundering money from hong kong and china that gets a little bit more to the point of well it's not on tape so do we really need to go there is what some people are the, this is these are the questions that people you know in law enforcement uh, or people that testified will the conversations i'm having with them so like you're making me mad and not i'm not mad at you but I, you're making me mad because like, it just sounds like this commission, and, and I don't, I, I'm not trying to criticize, you know, um, Justice Cullen or, or anyone particularly, but just on the outside, superficially, it looks like this commission is like not a big deal. It's, it's, it's covering some stuff. But again, like we, we, we just talked about, they, there hasn't been a recommendation of any arrests. It doesn't look like there's going to be huge political fallout out of this. Like, Sure, some things were uncovered, but they're missing the bigger picture here, aren't they? I really, you know, uh, 50% agree with you and 50% of me says that it was extremely important to, to lay down the evidence that they did. And this, I don't think this is the end point. Um, okay. I'll enlarge upon that. But I, you know, I want to give them credit that two years um, 
four years would have been better, but then people would have said, are we going to spend, you know, a hundred million or more? So I, I want to be fair to them about the practicalities of not going on fishing trips or, or, you know, having a person come up and make allegations and then not be able to support them. But on the other side of that, I'm telling you that there are RCMP officers with documents and knowledge about, you know, very high level allegations that I do think the commission not only should have tested and could have tested, but I, I, I really think it was their mandate to test some of those areas and they didn't. And that my point is that leaves them open to the disappointment and accusation that they were shying away from, you know, very tricky questions about powerful interests. Right. So uh, just going back to the nature and the structure of this inquiry, this isn't a trial. So what exactly are Justice Austin Cullen and the commission determining right now? Like, what is the expectation that they're going to come out with in, in their report in May? Well, if you would ask me that question a year ago, I, I would have thought that Commissioner Cullen is hearing about FinTrack, Canada's federal anti-money laundering watchdog. He's hearing about the RCMP. He's hearing from international experts about how their, you know, countries with federal police forces deal with the issues facing Vancouver. And yet in the closing arguments, he asked for guidance from the federal government and the provincial government about you know, as a provincial uh, commission, what could he come back? Could he comment on FinTrack? And he right. was told very clearly by the federal government, we believe your mandate doesn't extend into making recommendations about <laughs> FinTrack. So I don't want to make you more upset, Mo, but that one kind of triggered me a little bit. I think, why did you hear, why did, why was the federal government involved in the inquiry if they were going to, if you're going to then ask them, okay, what am I allowed to comment on? And they tell you, you're not allowed to say FinTrack needs to be tweaked. So yeah. what I do, you know, on the other hand, I don't see why uh, Commissioner Cullen could not say, I, I've heard more than enough about FinTrack and the RCMP and why Canada uh, needs a federal police force that doesn't get scattered into provincial policing, but focuses like an FBI or, or the Australian federal police on international organized crime. Uh, Commissioner Cullen could talk about how uh, Canada's Charter of Rights, you know, is great for protecting the rights of uh, honest people, but has become sort of a weapon in the hands of transnational organized crime. I believe he could say, if you're telling me I can't uh, talk about, you know, changing federal laws or going to the issues where the Supreme Court has jurisdiction, I Commissioner Cullen could uh, suggest, you know, we do need a federal panel on these issues or yeah, we need to exactly. get... Right. Provincial attorneys general together with the federal attorney general to talk about these issues. So I, I would like to give like a, at, at this point, despite some of the, the, you know, the fears or the disappointment we're, we're feeling about where they didn't go. I still think Commissioner Cullen uh, is a, is a mind and a judge that took in a great deal of evidence. And I, I, he'll have the ability to comment pretty freely. I, that's not to say he'll have the ability to change some things that I think need to be changed. But but ultimately, what we're talking about, as you rightly said, like this is a provincial public inquiry. And so I guess it makes sense that that's why the focus was on BC casinos, because the, the province regulates and, and controls and uh, casinos in, in this province. So, you know, is he just intrinsically 
sort of handcuffed in terms of the scope because it is a provincial in- inquiry. And when we talk about money laundering, that is, you know, very much federal jurisdiction. Yeah, I mean, uh, it'll remain to be seen. Part of it is, as a judge, he when he's uh, trying to discover, you know, what what he can or can't say, it doesn't mean that he won't say it if someone says that, you know, this is federal jurisdiction. He's asking, you know, what is your opinion? And he could come back and say, like, it, it is so, in my view, it's so clear that, you know, this is what we learned. <laughs> what no one can deny is how much transnational organized crime that is rooted in other countries is involved in BC casinos right. and how their networks, uh, you know, don't stop at BC casinos. There, there's no, there's no a division between the BC government casinos, the illegal casinos, the, the, the law offices, uh, you know, real estate. So I don't see how Commissioner Cullen could, could have missed any of that. And uh, I mean, again, uh, it, it'll be up to him and his wisdom and his comments. If his jurisdiction is limited, he, he should be able to suggest that he's seen enough to, to ask other people within their jurisdiction to consider changes. Personal opinion of yours, I, I, I want to get your take on this. You've covered this inquiry and, and really this file more than anyone I know personally. And, uh, you know, that's that's a, a ton of people. But, you know, we're certainly one of the one of the more preeminent people on this file and watching this inquiry. There were so many names that could have provided testimony, but ultimately did not. Did British Columbia not commit the proper resources, including time, to this public inquiry, even if the scope was limited just to casinos? Just your your personal take. My personal take is even within the sort of small pool of uh, uh, investigators directly involved in the BC casino money laundering file, not enough were heard from. Yeah. And so that there there's your answer right there i don't think it was an issue of uh resources um more people that were ready to testify and and give some very serious evidence uh on the other hand let's flip the flip the switch here and say who was testifying that didn't offer anything and in my view detracted the main person at the center of these allegations the loan shark who is notorious so we'll call him Paul King Jin uh, almost died in, you know, a targeted shooting where right. his, you know, alleged partner died. Uh, he got some partial standing in the commission in order to defend his uh, rights or, you know, his reputation. And I was told that uh, there were investigators that were now fearful to uh, to testify f- before Commissioner Cullen because of his involvement. And in the end, he had some uh, duty to disclose documents or participate in the inquiry. And as Commissioner Cullen has written, he didn't, he didn't do anything he was asked to do. And yet he was sitting there. The question is raised is, was he sitting there as a chilling factor, as a fear factor? Why can I say that? Because documents came up about, uh, you know, his loan collection activities where very serious 
threats are made. People are afraid that their children are going to be involved. Wow. And so this person, we again, you know, I, I think it can be second guessed a little bit whether Commissioner Cohen made the right decision in allowing this person to participate. Uh, and and did that, uh, you know, did that have the effect of various lawyers that might have done business with him not openly testifying or various police investigators that know that this this person and his associates can find out where they live might not have uh, wanted to show up and testify anymore wow <laughs> i i will leave that at that we'll leave that there but i i do want to switch gears here just just a second again to talk about sort of the environment that this public inquiry happened in we know that there have been many delays in this public inquiry including the delay to release the final report and all the recommendations due to the COVID 19 pandemic however uh the shift to a virtual setting also changed a lot of the optics of the proceedings uh, for example i'm thinking of premier christy clark giving testimony from her very warm well-decorated home when we're all kind of used to Zoom meetings and it, it looked totally normal. You know, it felt way less than uh, than a legal procedure. In your opinion, how did the pandemic ultimately affect the Cullen Commission? Yeah, that's a great point, Mo. I haven't, you know, I, I haven't deeply thought about it, but what's occurring to me is that when you, you mentioned about former Premier Clark in her testimony, look, if this had happened in normal times, can you imagine Christy Clark walking into, you know, the courtroom setting mm -hmm. or the building and uh, let's say 20 TV crews surrounding her and, you know, firing questions in while she walks in, firing questions while she walks out, apply the same thing to Minister former Minister Coleman and uh, various, you know, very powerful people in BC. I think, you know, there there is a type of theater around these official uh, hearings where it would have garnered more more traction and attention from from more media, maybe even international media. Right. Um, in terms of technically, I, I, I want to give the commission a lot of credit. They for a tricky situation, I, I think, you know, in terms of getting the evidence out and uh, hearing from people, they, they did very well in that way. The other factor is, uh, you know, uh, just on a personal level, I think we all as uh, just, just people functioning in life have been exhausted by the pandemic to the, to the point where people feel like they, the news of the day that they've got the bandwidth for is, is there a new variant coming in at yeah. them and, and things of that nature, right? So the, the attention to something so important like this, where uh, you know, there's a lot more people overdosing on fentanyl than, 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 than some other things, but maybe people just didn't have as much time and, and space for this commission. Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. I think this would have been, and it is still a big story, but it, it, it would have been much more uh, ubiquitous in the public consciousness of British Columbians if we didn't have this global pandemic raging on, like I remember as a precursor to this commission, that this was the, you know, the, the pressure of, 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 uh, of having a commission, the, the pressure of investigating money laundering and finding out, you know, what's actually happening in the province was, was at the forefront of talk radio, of just the conversation in general. And then, you know, the pandemic obviously kind of just sucked the, uh, the air out of the room. I will, I will say though, you know, 
Premier Christy Clark definitely used Zoom to her advantage, and I, and I give her full credit for that. Like, that's a smart thing to do when you're able to. But Rich Coleman did not. He looked like he was testifying from a from a cell in a Costa Rican prison or something. I, I no one, He didn't have an advisor to tell him, you know, to spruce things up and, and make it seem less antagonistic or less cold or like less like he was, uh, you know, in, in any sort of uh, scr- under any sort of scrutiny, I should say. Well, there may be some, you know, the various different politician, politicians have different personalities and charms. And I think no, probably anyone that, you know, when I was at the Vancouver Sun, I used to hear about uh, reporters that said, Going covering the BC ledge when Glenn Clark and Christy Clark were leading their, you know, on the various sides of the aisles was was like going to a a, a show. Like right. they, these people, some of these people are amazing at answering questions, the theater, uh, deflecting, if you will, uh, dancing, if you will, <laughs> and. Uh, Christy Clark is just uh, you give her credit. She's a, she's an amazing speaker, a charming mm-hmm. speaker, and she did very well with with what she does uh no one i don't think would say rich coleman is is one of those politicians you'd call a charmer but, uh, so let's leave it at that I, maybe in some circles i'm not sure have you ever interviewed rich coleman have you ever sat down with him like one-on-one or or even in a scrum uh i when i was with the province and the sun it was more I would say, you know, there was a, a phone call here and there, maybe a, a phone message. Yeah, there was one phone call where I asked a question about a casino license in Surrey, speaking yeah. about things that didn't come up in the commission and may have been <laughs> tested more. I'll just leave that hanging for a bit and say I do think there are questions around that casino license in Surrey. So huh. maybe Cullen Commission Part 2. But not to get off topic, uh, in in scrums here and there, but I, I never have sat down with him for an extended talk about this very very important story and i always have uh i've always asked and and tried to get his comment and you know just to be fulsome here his evidence is any number of people saying that they you know warned his subordinates or or tried to warn him about what they suspected was happening his evidence has always been Fair enough, uh, but uh, we never had concrete proof that this money laundering was occurring. And we thought money laundering occurred with people taking a check out of the casino. And, you know, that gets Mm. into the whole other point that, no, this was never about people, you know, just taking a check out after bringing cash in. That certainly happened, but it was more about people taking out a loan of cash and paying it back in China. And and I'll just tell you my view. I, I'm, I'm very certain that people like Minister Coleman and uh, people surrounding him were, were pretty well informed that people below them knew this Vancouver model was going on from the early 90s, yeah. right? Of people of, of drug gains from, uh, from East Asia doing the same thing they do in Macau, but doing it at a lower scale in Vancouver and then building up year by year until they were doing it at international high level scale in mm. Vancouver. People knew this. Uh, just a bit on a tangent here, but still on Coleman. Occasionally, I will frame interviews as uh, as a fight promoter would, right? Like this idea of pairing two different personalities and, and seeing what happens in the end. And I, I tell you right now, Sam, I would pay sixty five ninety nine. 
to watch you interview Rich Coleman for an hour. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm that. Uh, I'm a writer. I'm not a broadcaster, right? But maybe I'll need you beside me to kind of be a. <laughs> Just slip me the notes, question. and we'll we'll do we'll tag team. <laughs> no, but look, I, I certainly look. I've I've told. You, you raise a thought in my mind, you know, when, when I was breaking these stories and people inside casinos were, were just saying, you know, this is, you know, fake news or, you know, this didn't happen. I would tell people, come into our newsroom. We'll put on a videotape and let's yeah. talk for 60 minutes. Yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe let's circle back to that. We, we'll, we'll offer that to Minister Coleman and let's, let's do a Mo podcast part, part two or part 2.5. <laughs> Part two, the real part two. I'd love that. Speaking of part twos, there's going to be a second edition of your book and uh, you're going to add a new chapter sort of focused on the, the Cullen Commission. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the The plan is, and uh, we're breaking the news today, Mo, the plan is to do an updated chapter where we tackle, you know, I tackle some of these very, uh, very points that you've very, you know, sharply raised. Um, I've been thinking along the same lines of where did the commission not go where they should have? Uh, pretty obviously, I've laid some of the ground in my previous, you know, in, in the first edition of the book. But mm -hmm. we have now that the commission is done, we have sort of the final answer on what they covered, what they didn't cover. Beyond that, Mo, uh, I'll be talking about um, impacts of this book internationally uh, that I know of. Uh, I know that uh, that that uh, Beijing is paying attention, as is Washington and London. So um, this little book from Canada is is being noticed. So I'll, I'll update around those issues. And uh, I'll be looking at, look, I, I won't even, uh, it's not going to be a surprise that uh, in this past election, some things that I talked about and warned about in some chapters of my book about how the Chinese Communist Party is seeking to inf interfere in Canadian politics indeed did occur. There's evidence now. So uh, I'll be updating on that. So when does this new edition of, of the book come out? Like, it sounds like you're releasing it before the Cullen Commission recommendations come out. I, I think it should be the, the recommendations are expected in May. So I the, the publisher Optimum tells me the plan is to reduce, re release this second edition in May as well. Oh, okay. So yeah. I, have to, I have to buy your book twice. I already have two copies of it, and now you're making me buy a third copy is no, what you're saying. You get, a, you get a third signed copy for free, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take that any day of the week. I, I have to ask you, um, and, and, and I did want to leave it here, but, but I am genuinely curious. When it comes to the fallout from this book, I mean, we saw this weird, uh, but I guess they were trying to be scathing review in the Georgia Strait. Uh, we saw some other detractors uh, of your book. Was any of it serious? Like, did, did any of it, I don't know, uh, affect you reputationally or, or maybe even just emotionally, personally? Um, you know, I wrote in the book about how the first time around when I exposed the, the United Front Work Department involvement in taking a... Uh, PPE out of Canada, yeah. how there was a, a very serious sort of um, organized attempt to sort of attack and smear me. And at that time, I it, it was, you know, I wrote about it. It hurt, yeah. <laughs> but it gave me a lot of evidence. I understand those networks now. And so this time around, you mentioned that newspaper. Um, 
there's no credibility there. That that's a sham article. It's a useful idiot that published that. I won't name wow. his name right now. But he, look, uh, Britain, British intelligence agency just released a, a high-level alert about the United Front Work Department talking about the exact same things I revealed in the book. Yeah. We've just reported at Global News about uh, uh, the Overseas Chinese Affairs Office these, uh, that, that is deeply attempting to control you know, all critics of the Chinese Communist Party in Canada and interfere in diaspora communities. These are the things that are revealed in the book and they're now being revealed in, in all kinds of documentation. So any backlash is, um, I believe I can see some of the people involved are, are part of something organized, uh, but uh, more people understand what's going on now. Absolutely. So what you're saying is you're going to keep going. You're going to keep uh, being a heavy hitter on this file. Well, I, I think we talked before about, you know, a, a second book and uh, more books along this vein. And I think we're only in the early innings of what I'm, you know, revealing and what's important uh, to Canadian society. So I, I think there's more to do in this vein. And there's certainly many more podcast discussions with you. I know that. <laughs> I was just going to say, if there's many more books, then there has to be many more podcasts. And even if there isn't a second book, you have to come back on. That's a promise. <laughs> Sam, you know it is an absolute treat for me to chat with you. Thank you so much for your time. And, and of course, we will absolutely do it again. Thank you, Mo. Folks, that's our podcast. The best damn investigative journalist in this country. His book, Willful Blindness, How a Network of Narcos, Tycoons, and CCP Agents Infiltrated the West is available now if you can't wait for the spring's second edition. He is Sam Cooper. And I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. Yeah.